So if I was starting today as a new solo, I would do entrepreneurial aspect. Change the way they're practicing. Leader, analyze. said they've done it earlier. Starting a small firm. What it means to be fulfilled. Make it easy to work with your clients. New approach, new tools, new mindset, new solo. And it's making that leap, making that leap. Time for another episode of New Solo on the Legal Talk Network. Hi, everyone. I'm Adriana Linares. I'm your hostess. Before we get started, I want to thank a listener and give you a resource to listen to. First of all, Matt from California, I got your email a little bit too late, and I'm very bummed out that I didn't get to meet you in person in New Orleans, but thank you so much for reaching out, and thank you for the nice note. It's really lovely to hear that New Solo is helpful in helping other attorneys launch their practices, which happens to be what we're going to talk about today. And my buddy, Brian Folk, which is an attorney out there in the world that does cybersecurity and, and kind of a cool area of law, has a podcast that I want to tell everyone about. It's called Fearless Paranoia. And he covers um, egregious hacks and ways that we as everyday people who are not IT people can learn to run a more secure life and practice. So Get, a, get your uh, podcast search button moving to Fearless Paranoia by Brian Folk. And he does that with an IT person, I think, um, based on the note that he sent me a while ago. Sorry it took me so long to share this with everyone, Brian. And Matt, thank you again. Um, I wish we could have met. So today, a Matt-like attorney by the name of Andrew Sherberg. Andrew, is it Sherberg? You got it. Exactly oh, wow. Right. Great. Well, it's very nice to meet you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your pearls of wisdom with listeners about how you managed to launch your solo practice as a second career. So when I learned about you, I thought it was so interesting because you were a police officer in a previous life, sort of, I don't want to say on the opposite side of the law, but in a different, a completely different side of the law. So tell me, a little bit. Tell us all a little bit about that. Yeah. You know, I was a police officer for 20 years. I just retired in December of 2022. So the full-time law practice is wow. brand new, but yeah, I, I'm lucky. I got into the system here in Kentucky when we had a 20 year pension system. So, you know, I started my career as a patrol officer. I became an investigator. Uh, I did computer forensics for a while and kind of internet crime investigations. Huh. And then became a police chief at uh, sort of my parents' hometown city, small agency here in Northern Kentucky. That's amazing. Um, and I should have asked you about that too. So you're in Kentucky. Yeah. Um, are you in a rural? I hate that word. In a. <laughs> <laughs> so are you in a rural part of Kentucky? I'm not. We're basically okay. the suburbs of Cincinnati, Ohio. So I can, oh. from the roof of my house, we have a little porch. I can see downtown Cincinnati and my office is just about 15 minutes from there. Oh, that's so great. I, okay. So you had this career in law enforcement and did you start that thinking, okay, I got 20 years, this pension is going to time up and I'm ready to retire? Or did you think when you started, you were going to be there forever? Or did you have a hardcore plan? Yeah, no, I really did think about it. Um, it's funny, the pension's been a topic of discussion in recent years, and it really doesn't exist anymore here in Kentucky. Oh. Um, and one of the things that was talked about from the politicians is, oh, nobody really considers that. I definitely considered it and mm. definitely thought, you know, at 42 years old, I'd be able to start career number two. I, you know, truthfully, when I started at the police department at first, there wasn't a fantastic culture at the department I was at. Mm -hmm. 
I decided to go to law school. I thought, well, you know what, maybe this isn't the right career for me. Mm. And I had an interest in, in law school at the time anyway. So I did part-time uh, law school. Chase College of Law here in Northern Kentucky has a night program, which is really, no there's so many attorneys I've talked to around here who would not be attorneys if it weren't for that program. Uh, nurses, um, other professionals, people with families, all kinds of people that have the opportunity to go because that program is here and it's it's been here for a long time. So, but that, you know, I, it was kind of an exit strategy at the time, uh, but the culture of the police department changed and I got moved into investigations, which I really enjoyed. <laughs> and you know, by the time that was done and law school was done, I was already seven years into a 20 year career. And I thought, let's, let's see where this goes and we'll, we'll practice law when, when, when it's done. So you've had your law degree for years and years before you started using it? Sort of. So I graduated law school in 09. Uh, I did practice part-time uh, for a little bit after I graduated. I did some bankruptcy, consumer bankruptcy law, uh, which was fantastic to do part-time because, you know, the, the creditors meetings are scheduled for like 15 minutes and they happen during that time. They happen on time and last 15 minutes and you're done and mostly a paperwork type practice. I think I took on two family law cases and realized that was not for me. Uh, and then I bought an old house that needed to be remodeled with my wife. And in the process of that, we also found out we were having our first kid. So didn't have time for a part-time law practice and really didn't pick it back up until uh, I had my eye on retirement. That's so interesting because did you ever feel like, oh, I, I've forgotten so much. I'm totally out of it. Or were you doing enough sort of during these fits and starts where you could keep the wheels greased? Is that a term? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's a term. Um, okay. You know, I definitely realized I did some and, you know, certainly I think being in law enforcement, uh, I had interactions mostly mm. obviously with criminal law. Good point, um, obviously, yeah. But, but you know, I, I, I tried to keep up with it, would go to, you know, keep up my my hours for my license. Kentucky's fantastic. Our, our bar does uh, basically, once a year, you can get all your CLEs mm -hmm. for free, which is fantastic. So, you know, I did that, but I did have to really re-educate myself on a lot of stuff when I began the process of, okay, I'm going to start my own firm. You know, the first question is, what am I going to do? And once I s solved for that, then it was, okay, now how do I get myself up to speed on this area of law? Because it, it had been a while. Okay, don't tell me about the practice area yet, because I have a couple of other backup questions. So you're coming up on your 20 years, you're looking to retirement, you decide you're going to go full bore into the practice of law. Just a silly question. Did they give you a retirement party at, at the at the police station? Does that happen? I did. I, yeah. Yes, I had the retirement party. Um, <laughs> you know, it was interesting leading up to that. I, I loved being a police officer. I, I think service is kind of, is my motivator and it's at the heart of, of what I do. Uh-huh. I didn't really, it was very strange. I just, as it was approaching, it wasn't really hitting me emotionally. Uh, mm. And I was doing fine. We had some transition period and, and I announced my retirement like six months before it happened. So there was some transition. Yeah. But man, like when I get up to give my speech at that retirement <sighs> party and my family's there, um, uh, almost every chief I'd worked for was there. Uh, yeah, I was, I was a mess. And then they did the final call on the radio, which is, if you've ever seen some of those videos, you know, that's, uh -huh. that was, yeah, it was an emotional day for me. Um, I'm getting was, a little walled really up cool. for you. Yeah. That's cool. Okay. So you retire, you decide you're going to launch this practice. You have support from your wife. You've got three young kids. Yes. Three, and nine, seven, and five at the time. 
Okay, so this is a big deal because you're pivoting, transitioning, and you've got a lot on your plate. So you decided to do it. And what was, just for for other listeners, what were some of the things that you considered, had you considered, it doesn't sound to me like you considered any other career because you've known forever that you were going to be a lawyer. I really did actually. So kind of back in 2020 is really when I started thinking about okay, retirement is end of 2022. What am I going to do? At the time, I was actually serving as not just police chief for the city where I worked, but I was also acting city administrator. Mm. And so on my mind was, you know, I could parlay this into some kind of operations VP position or something like that in the corporate world. But the more I thought about things, and truly part of it was discovering your podcast and a lot of others and realizing there was just such an opportunity to start my own practice, be my own boss. The mayor of the city where I worked was an entrepreneur. He had his own business. And I saw his ability to kind of focus on the things he wanted to. Mm. He had his main business and he started another business and the freedom he had in his schedule. So all of those kind of things just really led me to, you know what, I've got my law degree. I enjoy service. Let's find something that I can do to be my own boss, start my own thing hopefully grow something for for me and my family. You mentioned to me that being able to spend time with your kids was going to be really important. I think everyone with children has that desire and that plan. So that sounded like a very important reason to be able to control your own schedule and time and the way you did things, right? It was. So I'll tell you a funny story, which is that, so after I retired, so January of this year, I worked the cafeteria at my kid's school uh, every Friday in January, and I've done it once a month since. And it was just something I was like, I'm going to do this. It's really fun to see them like in their element during the day. But yeah, you know, when I, uh, part of what I did, so sort of my like methodology or whatever, when I was making these decisions, once I decided, okay, I'm going to practice law, um, then it was like, okay, what am I going to do? And first I had to narrow down that practice area for me. Mm -hmm. I I knew I didn't want to do a wide variety of things. And partially to your point, you mentioned before I was, you know, what, seven or eight years, 10 years, whatever it was out of, uh, yeah, 10 years out of, out of law school. So I knew trying to get myself up to speed on a lot of areas of law wasn't necessarily the most practical. And I don't remember where I heard this, but it was a podcast. Maybe it was yours. There was somebody who was talking about thinking about your goals, thinking about your priorities and finding a practice area that fits with that. And so, you know, as a police officer, I thought, well, I can do criminal defense. But then, you know, you're, number one, you're on the schedule of the court. Uh, you're always, you, you know, that's a that's somebody else's deadline and somewhere you've got to be. Uh, and, I, you know, you can't sort of schedule around that and go work, you know, work at the cafeteria. I thought about personal injury, uh, car accidents, because, you know, I, I've been on my fair share of car accidents sure. and sort of understand how they operate. Again, um, that would have been my second guess. <laughs> yeah, but again, you know, you're looking at, you know, just court schedule and depositions and all these things that you sort of are out of your control. So I took a step back, you know, thought about my motivation being service and and how I could help others. And I think the answer was with me all along in finding elder law and estate Mm -hmm. plan, primarily, primarily elder law. When I grew up, my mom and dad both worked and I spent a lot of time with my grandparents, particularly my grandma's, my, my one grandpa was, was died, had died before I was born and the other one died when I was pretty young, but particularly my mom's mom, uh, Louise, I spent so much time with her and I just really loved and cherished that time. 
And I thought, what a better way to sort of, I don't know, tap honor into her. the core of what motivates me and honor yeah. her. Yeah. Than to go into this area. So that's, that's how I got there. And also I realized that it is kind of, you know, for the most part, a practice area that's on a flexible schedule, let's say there's not too many elder law emergencies and the elder law emergencies are usually measured in uh, days or weeks and not, you know, hours and minutes. That's amazing. Well, let's take a quick break, listen to some messages from some sponsors. I'm going to come back and ask you about how you ended up deciding infrastructure, whether you're going to work from home, which sounds impossible with three children. Sometimes we can get down to some of the nitty gritty in our next segment. Yes, yes. You have a website, but do you love it? Does it grow your practice? It should look good. It should work for you. And it should be built by people who care. Practice Made Perfect loves making websites for solos, just starting out or market leaders. And their clients love their websites. PMP's average client has been with them for over six years. PMP is perfect for your website. Practice Made Perfect. Visit pmpmg.com forward slash solo. All right. And we're back. I'm here with Andrew Scheiberg, who's telling us about how he decided to launch his practice. And in the first segment, we heard finally unveiled the practice area, elder law. And so Andrew, it sounds like you had been doing some prep work, listening to some podcasts, probably doing some research. So as you sat down to launch, did you have a business plan? It was a rough business plan, but I did have a business plan. Like you wrote it down, business plan for my law firm, Yeah, all cap centered. Like a (laughs) two-pager. Okay. Okay. Probably wasn't as thorough as it needed to be, but I knew, you know, I knew going into it, I wanted to be, I wanted it to be a holistic practice. Um, I didn't want to just be transactional, do some documents and kind of, for lack of a better way to put it, kick people to the curb. Sure. Um, You know, I really wanted to spend some time with my clients, build that relationship. From a practical standpoint, I knew I was going to need office space um, just with the generation of clients that I'm helping. Many of them are okay with, with sure. virtual meetings, but a lot, you know, many of them, uh, many more of them want, you know, in-person face-to-face. So I did decide I needed a physical office. I tell people sometimes, I feel like I kind of cheated at starting this practice because, you know, number one, I've got a, a pension uh, to rely on. So, you know, I don't have the worry that so many attorneys have about just, am I going to make any money? Like, yes, magical. I want to make money with my law practice and I, and I, right. my pension doesn't cover everything, but um, I have a little cushion. Um, I also looked out because my wife's cousins are attorneys who had some extra space in their office. So oh, excellent. that worked out perfect. So I, I share space with them and uh, another attorney that moved in uh, right around the same time. So that's been good. Helps with just some practical things like when we're signing wills and need witnesses and notaries mm-hmm. and things like that. So physical office for me, um, but I do work from home sometimes. Uh, I try to be pretty flexible with my schedule. And if, if I look at my calendar and I don't have client meetings uh, that day in person, then I'll work from home uh, when maybe the kids are in school. <laughs> it gets a right. little noisy when they're not. Do you have an assistant? I don't. So Tell I'm hiring right now. Oh, um, okay. Okay. Yeah. I have actually, I have a really, I think, awesome candidate who I'm probably going to hire next week. So I do have somebody on my team. I mentioned before practicing holistically. So when I was doing my research to start the practice, uh, I discovered something called the Life Care Planning Law Firms Association. And yeah. it was started by Tim Takis. He's out of Nashville, Hendersonville, Tennessee, suburbs of Nashville. And Tim started this way of practicing years ago. Um, but essentially, um, my first hire was actually a care coordinator. So 
when we work with our clients, we don't just do, you know, will, trust, power of attorney, things like that. We do those things. Um, but Suzanne, my care coordinator, actually helps them to whether they need to find a new place to live if they're moving from maybe their home no to assisted living or a nursing home. Like you are um, a trusted advisor from A to Z. That's that's our goal. That's and, the goal. You know, our, our relationships go on for a year. So we stay with our clients for a full year from when they sign up and they have a renewal option at the end of that year. Most of the time, the renewal more is to do with Suzanne's work than my work, but they have access to us for as, as long as they want. So do you have a subscription plan? It's essentially a subscription plan. So it's it's flat fee for that first year. Mm -hmm. um, and then there's a renewal flat fee um, every year if they want to continue on. How did you decide to go with that angle instead of the typical hourly rate or? You know, honestly, it was two things. Number one, I think that I think flat fee just works better for people. Um, yeah. It works better for the firm, works better for the clients. And the sort of subscription part of that is just part of what the way that the Life Care Planning Law Firms Association and the way all the firms that are members work. Very cool. Because there's value. There really is value in that trusted advisor sticking with our clients. They're going through something. Most of the families we work with are going through something they've never gone through in their mm -hmm. life. And it's confusing. It's overwhelming. You have adult caregiver children who have full-time jobs that are yeah. trying to manage, how do I know to trust this assisted living facility? How do I know what's going on with mom when she's there? What questions do I ask? All those kind of things that are not really the legal questions, but we want to be that sort of one-stop shop for them. Back to, tell me the name of the organization again. The Life, Life, yeah, it's Life Care Planning Law Firms Association, LCPLFA. So when you learned about that organization, obviously you websited it, but then just curious, did you travel to any seminars, webinars, conferences, and just get so fired up learning how this was a successful model? I think I always want to encourage people to get out and go to conferences because I think they can be so helpful. Was it something like that or did you do everything online? No, it started online. Um, they have a video series that mm. when you become a member, it's kind of the first intro. So I did the video series. I will say I regret not going to the conference that first year. I should have gone to the conference that first year. It would have set me up, I think, for um, just a better start to things had I done that. I did, I did go this year and um, this year they did like an unprogram. So it was all sort of um, user-generated sessions. Yeah, those are hard to put together. I'm, they, you know, they did a great job with I'm it. Sure. You know, some sessions were better attended than others. But the, the cool thing was, too, that sessions could sort of happen on the fly. So mm -hmm. you'd be talking about stuff, and they're like, hey, this issue's come up, so we're going to do a session on that this afternoon. And I met tons of contacts there. Um, I met Tim Takis, who's the guy who sort of started this all, which really led to just a good relationship, I think. And, and I actually was just on Monday and Tuesday this week, myself and my care coordinator spent the two days at their firm in Nashville, oh. just shadowing them and cool. seeing how they operate. And I'm awesome. You are a lifelong awesome learner. I can tell you're one of these. Uh, yeah. I sit next to one of those all day. Okay. So uh, you've got your law firm, you've got a good model and you decide to get an office, which I think is, you know, it's a tough choice for people a lot of times today because just it costs, it's a, it's an overhead cost that some people don't want to spend, but you made the right decision on that. Sounds like, what about your infrastructure as far as technology? Are you a Mac? Are you a PC? What kind of software did you end up getting? You know what? I feel like every time I answer a question, I'm like, this has a backstory. <laughs> uh, I am typically a Mac person. I've had Macs my whole life and I just think they're awesome and reliable and, you know, last forever, whatever. 
in my journey to my current practice management software, which is my case, mm-hmm. I took a trip through Action Step, which Ooh. their plugin did not work on Mac. So okay. um, I made the switch to uh, I have Microsoft Surface. We all have Surface laptops, the laptop, not the tablet. So, yes, and I'm happy with it. I The Windows machines have been great, and I, I particularly mm-hmm. like the Surface line, um, mm-hmm. but it was an Me adjustment. Too. Also, Suzanne, and I would say this if she was here, but Suzanne, technology is not her strong suit, and she'd never worked on Macs. So when I gave her a Mac, initially she was um, like, what is this thing? Right. So I thought, you know, let's let's stick with the familiar. I'm um, just going to be more efficient for us all. So when people call me and they want to switch, usually from a PC to a Mac, which you did the opposite. Interestingly, my boyfriend did the same thing. He was a huge Mac lover, but he wanted software that was really optimized for PCs. Anyway, all that to say, I never encourage making the switch unless you have the time to train yourself or it's really hard. People say, I just had a call a couple of weeks, a couple of days ago with somebody who said, I almost got a Mac. I said, oh, let me guess. Cause your college students said, get a Mac, they're easier. And she's like, exactly. I said, I know. And she's, you know, she said, she's so glad she didn't because it would have been hard. Okay. So you decided to go with PCs and action step didn't work out. You went with my case and then, you know, I'm really impressed with the improvements that my case or the additions that my case has made to their software lately with accounting built in and stuff. So um, you're happy with my case. I am. Yeah. And you know what Great. truly drew, drew me there was they do have some um, sort of lead management built in mm-hmm. They do uh, now, which it, it is enough for me right now. Uh, as I grow, I'll probably have to look towards something a little more robust, but for now it works. And it's a reasonable subscription to get that all included. So the action step thing, there was, uh, so the Life Care Planning Law Firms Association, there's a firm that's made a plugin for that, that has sort of built in workflows. And mm-hmm. um, they did a fantastic job with that. I kind of thought like, oh, I can get a leg up and buy this plugin. And what I found is having not created those workflows myself, they were someone else's. Yeah. I just, they weren't, they didn't work for me. Um, they were also designed for a little bit larger firm. Um, gotcha. And so anyway, so I reconsidered and I've been happy with my case. So that's where I'll that's be great. for now. I think it's important for people to hear that it's okay to change your mind about your technology or your software and leave one and go to another. Yeah. I'm glad I made the decision early. That was helpful. I didn't have a lot of data that needed to be migrated over. But yeah, I, I, I think the whole like idea of like sunk cost and well, I've already spent all this time on this. I'm just going to stick with it. It's yes. just not good. It's not not good. Not good. Well, great. What other important pieces of technology, services, programs have you gotten into that you would suggest others consider as well? You know, one of the things that I have to think about being a really small office right now is just efficiency. So um, I use Elder Council for drafting. And uh, recently, I think they're a newer company. There's there's a company that's called Decision Vault mm-hmm. that has um, client intake forms, yeah. basically. And it interfaces with my case and with Elder Council. So now Perfect. for my clients who are fine with technology, I can email them a questionnaire. My sort of intake process is, you know, they get this emailed questionnaire along with my Calendly link. So I ask them to fill out the questionnaire, submit that, and then schedule your follow-up appointment. So Perfect. just fewer fewer touch points um, lets me not have to answer the phone as much. Yeah. Uh, and then once they move from being a potential client to a client, I can import their information very quickly from Decision Vault into my case in Elder Council, and I have to retype things and worry about typos and just that data entry time. That's been pretty important to me. Text Expander has been phenomenal. Uh, I live that and die. Is, 
oh my gosh. It's my ride <laughs> or die. And you know, I think my tip on that is something like that can seem like really overwhelming. You're like, I've got to write all these clauses. I've got to do all this stuff. I just, I'm doing it as I go. Mm-hmm. So anytime that I come across something where I'm like, I feel like I'm saying, I'm typing this a lot. I stop myself. I open up text expander. I create a snippet and then I use it. And to me, that's a good way to just build it kind of as you're going. Um, I I totally agree. If you're new here and you've not heard me expound the virtues of text expander, it's basically a text expansion library where you can drop your most frequently typed terms, abbreviations, paragraphs, clauses, certificates of service. But I'll say, you know, I also just store things in there that maybe I don't use all the time, but I use enough that I would have ended up, you know, going back to an email or another contract to find. So I actually use it even as a rarely used, but I know where it is, storage location. Two quick things that I wanted, I wrote down real quick while you were talking because I didn't want to interrupt you and I'm an interrupter. I like the way you, you, try to reduce administrative touch points. You just said, you know, let me redu- we wanted to reduce touch points. But you don't do that by having someone like a care coordinator and you're hiring an assistant to make sure that the important touch points are not just overseen. It sounds like you have found a balance between where to use technology to, to make things more efficient for everyone, but you also recognize the importance of that, that human touch and creating those relationships with your clients. I think it's critical there, as you said, there's certain things that just shouldn't yeah. be, shouldn't be automated. And those things, we, we want that personal touch. Our clients, especially many of our clients who are older, really appreciate that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's really critical to them. Of course. But yeah, on the other stuff, I mean, we got to be And efficient. there's certain things where there shouldn't be human involvement too much. And that's like creating an appointment. So you use Calendly. And then the last thing I just wanted to mention is kind of Calendly wise in my case is, did you purposefully or did you just accidentally pick and find programs that integrate with each other? Because that's obviously something I always tell everybody to do is everything needs to talk to the other things that you're using. So between a Calendly and my case, not DocketWise, Decision Vault. Um, yes. So are you finding that creating those interlocking points, software that integrates with itself is just, just tell everybody how important that is. That's what I'm trying well, yeah, to Well, yeah, it's huge because, <laughs> you know, again, like, you think about it's not a ton of time, I guess, in each individual case, but when you add it up across cases, the fact that I can send a client a questionnaire, they can fill that information out, and I instantly now have that in my drafting software and in my case, that's huge for us. And it, you know, it's not just for me, but you know, for instance, with Decision Vault and Elder Law, uh, we we have contact with a lot of our clients' adult children. And sometimes we need to reach out to them. Well, if they've put their information in Decision Vault, it goes into my case. Now my care coordinator has it right away without having to mm-hmm. say, hey, how do I get a hold of their kid? Yeah, you know, I mean, just the time and the efficiency and, and it, it truly ends up uh, allowing us to serve our clients better. I love it. Well, let's take a last break from our sponsors. We're going to come back. I'm going to ask you about lessons learned. And I also want to know, do you feel that having had that first career made you a smarter entrepreneur in, in launching this law firm? We'll be right back. I'm going to ask you about that. Starting your solo practice is exciting, rewarding, and demanding. Alps Insurance understands the unique challenges of startup solo firms. 65% of Alps legal malpractice insurance policyholders are solos after all. That's why Alps created First Flight, a program supporting new solos by providing affordable premium pricing for the first three years of practice. Visit alpsinsurance.com forward slash insurance forward slash first flight to learn more. 
or just Google Alps First Flight. You'll find them. First Flight program subject to eligibility requirements. Law Clerk's nationwide network of talented freelance lawyers is trusted by thousands of law firms. Solo attorneys and firms can get help with project-based and also ongoing work via subscription. Sign up is free and there are no monthly fees. You only pay when you delegate work. Plus, LawClerk has a new app for your mobile devices to help you manage the work you've delegated while you're on the go. Be sure to use referral code NEWSOLO when you sign up at lawclerk.legal. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. Okay, we're back with Andrew. And Andrew, the last couple of things I want to ask you about. So you had this first career, and I love talking to people who, who, have, who are using the law practice as a second career. Do you think having had all that real-life experience made you a smarter entrepreneur in launching your law firm? Or was it just so different? And I I mean, you you had some experience speckled in there, but how did that encourage you or affect your decision-making? And how does it still affect you now, just a couple of years later? Yeah, I I think it helped. You know, the police chief time in particular, I had a budget, I had a staff of 15. Uh, Ah. So there, you know, I had experience of managing things, um, even though the taxpayers were compelled to pay my salary, the rest of it, um, I, you know, I had to manage a budget. I had to pick software and all that kind of stuff. Um, oh, yes. So you had all the right background. Yeah, that that really helped. And, and I'll tell you, off of the business side, just onto the like this area of practice, you know, as a police officer, you deal with with death a fair sure. amount. And it makes it a lot easier to have those conversations with families. Huh. Um, you know, I've been the person to literally you know, be the first person to tell a family that their loved one has died. Oh. And when you've done that, talking about the things that you need to do to plan for that, I think it has a little more authority for one, but I also am just not afraid to have those conversations because I know how important they are. So yeah, that career, that career has helped in numerous ways. Gosh, it sure sounds like it. That's pretty interesting. So what were some mistakes that you've made? Certainly you didn't do everything perfectly. <laughs> no, I have not. I think it, for one was practice management. Um, I think if I'd have settled on something on my case or, or whatever a little earlier that made more sense for me, that would have been smart. Right now, I will tell you that not hiring this legal assistant sooner is a mistake. Mm. I should have really started that process about a month earlier than I did because it, you know I've gotten a little behind on work. And so there's the stress of being behind and trying to get someone hired. And then the stress of thinking, I've got to get that person trained. Sure. So I, I think that would be a big thing. Um, Wait, can I ask you, when did you decide or how did you figure out it was the time to hire someone? I started to look at what I was doing. And I'll, I'll tell you, the I can think of the thing that did it for me was I was preparing Ooh, the drafts. actual straw. It was the actual straw. So okay. I was um, sitting down one day and I was preparing draft estate planning documents to mail out to a client. And just the process of like downloading them from Elder Counsel 
for, you know, getting the formatting right, which isn't a huge amount of time, printing them, putting them in an envelope, printing the postage. And I looked down and like 45 minutes of my day had gone by. <laughs> I'm like, I don't need to be doing this because to be honest, I haven't done a great job with um, like social media content and that kind of stuff. I need to be doing that more. Uh, mm-hmm. I could have been using that time for that. I, there's so many different things I could have been using that time for. Uh, and I just thought, okay. And, and then the other thing is I'm not great at taking notes in my mm. meetings with clients. And I thought it'd be nice to have somebody else there where I can sort of have the eye contact, right. the relationship and that, you know, express the empathy I want to show to my clients without my face, you know, buried in my iPad, taking some notes. So combination of things, but I realized it was time. And, you know, truthfully, I, there's so much advice that I've heard through your podcast and others of, you know, hire. The only way you're going to grow and build your firm is to hire because there's only so much you can do as one person. So yeah, I think all, all of that sort of made me say it's time. It's it's past time. Let's get this done. So a couple of times you said like your podcast and others, and I think you are hesitant to mention other podcasts, but I love hearing, and I know my listeners do too, about other resources that were helpful to you. Can you think of any others that you would recommend attorneys starting a new law practice or even trying to make their old law practice better should listen to? Yeah, I think uh, start with yours. Uh, and that's truly, it is, I'm not saying that just because I'm here right now, but- No, um, it's, o- it's an obvious first choice. Yeah, yours is is really where <laughs> I did start and, and what um, got me down the road. On the business side of law, I think the Maximum Lawyer podcast has been a really huge for me and just on being a better business owner and probably a lot about niching down there too. I think that message is repeated on yours and theirs. I've listened to Ernie Svenson's podcast, which is now the 80-20 principle. Mm-hmm. Law Entrepreneur is a estate planning attorney out of Maryland. Lunch Hour Legal Marketing. I know you've had Conrad yeah. and Guy on your show um, before. And, you know, it hasn't just helped in terms of like what's said on the podcast, but it's, you know, it's led to me hiring others too. You had um, Peggy Grunke from CPN legal. Yeah. She's in my backyard and I didn't even know they existed until I heard about it on the podcast. And awesome. uh, I hired them to set up my QuickBooks and, you know, help me through some of that kind of stuff. So I think listening to a good variety of things is awesome. Most people have some kind of commute or some downtime and that's, yeah. that's what I did. I mean, literally I started, you know, I listened to yours uh, as a chief of a small police agency. Not all of my time was in the office. I went out patrolling. So as I was patrolling, I'd have you know, new solo playing as I no kidding. drove around the streets. That's cool. It's just a, you know, you soak it all in. It, it was, it was funny. I was, I was thinking about things as I prepared for today. And I was trying to think of like, is there one thing I can say that I got from this podcast or any podcast? And it's, I think because I just made such a habit of listening and just learning and trying to learn, it, it's all kind of mixed together as to where I learned it. I just know mm-hmm. that it's, it's the backbone of what I'm doing now. And oh, that's awesome. it's, it's, so it's so awesome that you all are so generous with your time and bring on these guests and share your wisdom. Um, because for someone like me, I, you know, I had the base, but uh, man, I've learned so much. That's wonderful to hear. And I, I would hope that maybe messages were consistent across experts talking so that we're all saying you have to have practice management. Doesn't matter yes. which one, find one. That is. So that's pretty cool. So you, I said to you, you know, what did you not do right? You've said a couple things. What would you say two or three things to someone launching that is just total wins? Like you can't go wrong if you do these things. I think the first thing, and you you hear this all the time, is finding a niche. I just can't imagine and trying to practice door law or whatever you want to call it. It it just 
my mind is not made that way. Um, and in fact, after I went to the recent conference with the Life Care Planning Law Firms Association, I, I like I'm seriously considering taking estate planning out of my name and just focusing on elder law. I'll do some estate planning, you know, if it comes along. But I really am thinking I'm thinking about niching down even further. I, and I, you know, one of the things I think is important too is reach out for help when you need it, and and don't be afraid to reach out to vendors. I recently realized I was doing my own Google ads. So my pay-per-click was, was all me. And I thought, you know, I was spending not a ton of money, but I thought I should make sure I'm spending this wisely. So I reached mm. out to a couple of different agencies. One of them, Attorney Sync, I'll, I'll throw it out there if it's okay yeah. to throw it out there. But um, they were, you know, they do That's some Guy's subscription. Company. I had, That's Guy's company. I had Guy on, let me just say real quick. Guy was the January episode, I think, of New Solo. And we talked about the importance of, the Google My Business, which is now Google Business Profiles. But yes, definitely mention yes. names. Okay, so you yes. reached out to Guy and his people at Attorney Sync. And the great thing was they were able to do some project-based work. So I didn't need to, I wasn't spending enough on my Google pay-per-click right now to hire them to manage it monthly, but they were able to go through it and say, hey, you should make these changes to make it more effective. Excellent. Um, you know, CPN, when I hired them, it wasn't like, I'm not on an ongoing basis with them right now. It was set up my QuickBooks, Make sure that, you know, I hired them after I've been practicing part-time for a bit. Make sure what I did already mm-hmm. is okay and let me know what I need to do moving forward. So um, I think don't be afraid to reach out. Um, you might find out that somebody's not a good fit, but you might find out that there is a company that is a good fit for you. And, and that's what I've found. Managing your schedule. That's the thing mm. I'm trying to learn now. Uh, <laughs> is, you know, I, I need to make sure that I have days. It's easy with Calendly to just be like, oh, just follow my link and, uh, you got to make sure you set that up really well. Uh, yes. I- I'm going to start doing a day that's protected for just work. So I'm not going to yes. allow client meetings on Thursdays, I think, moving forward, just so I can get the drafting done, you know, focus on personal development, catch up on the email lists that come in and all the things I need to learn and keep an eye on. So I think that's, those are the big things for me. I mean, lev- leveraging technology effectively, we kind of talked about that, but I think that's huge. Well, that's what I'm all about. But um, one more thing I want to ask you before I let you go, because you just reminded me of it. The name of your law firm is? Stages Elder Law and Estate Planning. Okay. So number one, your state allows you to have a type of name that isn't just your last name, because your last name is not Stages. Yes. They no longer disallow it. They don't explicitly allow it anywhere, but they got rid of the explicit language and the ethics rules that disallowed it. So I think that's a great tip right there, which is figure out what your state allows or doesn't necessarily disallow. (laughs) And if you want to have a creative law firm name, you might be able to. And then I I kind of think I understand why it's called Stages, but do you want to explain to us how you decided to, how you got to that name? Yeah, it's just the tagline was your lawyer for life's important stages. Um, I think we're going to change that a little bit. Again, if that last conference, we're going to change it to be like your advocates for life's important stages because it's Love not it. just your lawyer, it's your whole team that we have here. And, you know, my last name's hard to spell. So uh, instead of having to do Sherberg Law, very smart um, stages, I have stages.law as my website. So it's a very short website. The dot law confuses people every once in a while, but honestly, it's, it really hasn't been that big of a deal. And it, people are getting going to get more familiar with it. But I love the dot laws. Um, I don't think you have to have it, but if it's available, and I think they're a little more expensive, I just think it makes it, I, I always say, make it easy to remember, make it easy to spell. I think I've told the story about an attorney who had a hard to spell last name and environmental law, which is, sorry, environmental is hard for anybody to spell. And so right. did not take our advice when I said, we said, this was me and Liz were helping him, my, my partner Liz. And anyway, 
couple of weeks later, he came back. He goes, oh, you were right. I should have gone with something shorter and easier to spell. So I think that's always really important. Um, awesome. Well, Andrew Sherberg, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your story and helping everyone out. I, I know listeners very much appreciate hearing from other attorneys who have successfully launched. Uh, so it's stages.law to learn Stages. about you and your website. Yeah. Do you have any social media sites or any other resources I, you want to make sure and share with everybody in case they want to reach out? Yeah, I am on Facebook. I, I'm on Twitter. I'm not really active on there. I'm on LinkedIn uh, under my name, but Stages is also on LinkedIn as well. And your last name is spelled S-C-H-I-E-R-B-E-R-G, in case anyone wants to Google you. Um, Andrew, thank you so much. And thank you so much for your public service all those years. I can't imagine how challenging and hard that must have been at times, but it sounds like it was a really integral part of not just who you are today, but the business that you're building today. And that's really cool. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you so much for having me today, but uh, also for everything you do with this podcast. I really sincerely appreciate it. I, I appreciate that. It means a lot. Well, everyone, thanks for listening to another episode of New Solo. I hope you found it as inspirational as I did and that you're going to be back next month for another episode. If you like what you've heard today, make sure you share New Solo with other attorneys who might find it interesting. And if you've got a minute, open up your iPod. No, sorry, your iPad or your iPhone. And give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. See you next time. I've been running from nine to five. Been biting my tongue for all this time. Won't let anyone cut me short. I was thinking this was the way to go. And you put up your puppet show. I say cheers to life. Just give me a If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the Unbillable Hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.